0: He nai tēnei nā te reo o
1: Kia ora, and a big welcome to Elemental, a journey through the periodic table with me, Professor Alan Blackman, from the Auckland University of Technology. And today we're going to get really heavy.
0: Ooh, and I'm Alison Balance. Now, while Alan is our resident chemistry guru, I'm the podcast person who gets the job of trying to sound half smart, even when I've no idea what chemical element Alan is talking about, which I think is going to apply a lot today because we are bringing you a bit of a grab bag.
1: Yes, indeed. If you've been keeping track of the podcast, you would know that today's element should be berkelium. But in fact, we are going to consider a whole 22 elements in this one episode. And the reason that we're going to do that is that these 22 elements sit pretty much at the bottom of the periodic table. They are extraordinarily heavy. They are what we call transuranic elements. It means they come after uranium on the periodic table. They are very unstable. We haven't got a lot of them, and they are all radioactive and turn into something else. Right. So
0: before we take a brief deep dive into the world of the chemical heavyweights, not only had I not heard of a lot of these, but I had no idea of how to even pronounce some of the names. So I whipped around some of my RNZ colleagues, Alan, to see how they went.
1: <laughs> this will be good. Nip. Neptunium Berklium Berkelium Californium Californium Einsteinium Einsteinium Fermium Fermium, Fermium. Mendelivium Mendelivium Nobelium Nobelium, Nobelium. Nobelium. Lorenzenium Laurentium Rutherfordium Rutherfordium Dubnium
0: Dubnium Seaborgium Seaborgium Borium Borium Hassium, Hacium Darmstadtium Darmstadtium
1: Darmstadtium Darmstadium? Darmstadium. Rowentignium.
0: Rowentgenium.
1: Rowentgenium.
0: Rowent. Oh, that, is that the one that gets everyone? Rowentgenium.
1: Copernicium. Copernicium.
0: Nihonium. Nihonium.
1: Nihonium. Flaerovium.
0: Fluorovium. Moscovium. Moscovium.
1: Livermorium.
0: Livermorium.
1: Tennis. 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 <laughs> Tennisine. Tennis. Tenesine. Tenesine. Oganison. 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 O-
0: Oganison. So as you can see, some of my colleagues rather struggled with some of those names. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes. <laughs> Probably to do with the fact that some of them are rather obscure. Let's just start at the beginning, and in this list, um, I'd like to start with the first two, neptunium and berkelium,
1: berkelium. Berkelium, yes. I I think it's berkelium, that's the way I've heard it pronounced, but yes. Okay, tell me about them. Okay, so all of these elements are called the transuranic elements, as we've already said, because they come after uranium. So the first element that comes after uranium is element 93, and that's Neptunium, and then element 94 just happens to be Plutonium.
0: I can see a space theme going on
1: there. Uh, Indeed you can. So Uranus, Neptune and Pluto. So we're not going to go through all these 22, in case you're worried about that, but plutonium is going to get its own show because it's pretty important. Curium, likewise, element 96, and we've already done americium, and so therefore we go from neptunium, which is 93, to berkelium, all the way on 97. Why has it got such an unusual name? Well, it was named after the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, which is at University of California, Berkeley, in the USA. And so... What we find with a lot of these elements that they are named somewhat parochially. This one, one of quite a few, named after places in the states. So you get Berkelium, you get Californium, you get Americium, uh, Tennessee, etc., etc., etc. Berkelium was discovered in 1949. And since that time, we've really only been able to make about one gram of berkelium. So it is very, very rare stuff. And uh, the elements that come later than berkelium are even rarer still. The Lawrence
0: Berkeley National Laboratory, that's a very important sounding name. Was berkelium the only thing they have discovered?
1: No, no, no. They are sort of the big American lab where they have made a lot of discoveries of these transuranic elements. And so they've actually discovered 14 of these heavy elements there.
0: So that explains a lot of those English and more American-connected names in this bag of heavyweights. Are the Americans the only ones discovering these heavyweight
1: elements? No, indeed. And I talked about parochialism, and uh, that extends to certainly the Russians as well. A lot of the heavier elements were discovered during the Cold War, and so there was (laughs) probably an unfriendly rivalry, I guess between uh, the Russians and the Americans. So you get a lot of American-named things, you get a lot of Russian-named elements, and more recently the Germans and the Japanese have got into the game as well.
0: So parochialism aside, is there a convention for naming these heavy elements? Is it a case of first-and-first-served-gets-the-naming rights?
1: Yeah, pretty much, and that's sort of the way that it's basically been with all of the elements, really, whether they be naturally occurring or synthetic. And so, obviously, there's quite a bit of kudos that goes with uh, naming an element. Sometimes there are false starts, and particularly with the the last element on the periodic table, element 118, a team at Berkeley thought they'd made it in 1999. Uh, they published that, and then they found out that their lead investigator had been making up the results, and so they had to retract their original Supposed discovery of this element. Oops, uh, that's yeah. a
0: bit embarrassing. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah j- just a tad. Yes, yes. <laughs> Still,
0: at least they had a good track record before that.
1: Uh, no, oh yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, just confirming for me, these are all things that have been made in the lab, have existed only in the lab, do not occur in nature.
1: Exactly. Yes, and extraordinarily rare. We're talking, in some cases, merely atoms of the particular elements having been made.
0: So what's the point of going to all this effort to make something that is so rare and exists so fleetingly?
1: (laughs) I guess natural human curiosity, I suppose, and really how far we can push nature. We are making new matter, essentially, matter that's never existed as far as we know in the universe before. It's an extraordinary thing to be able to do. And there's an awful, awful lot of money that goes into the equipment for all of this sort of stuff. And that is why there are really only sort of four places in the world that do this sort of science.
0: What's the heaviest element on the periodic table at the moment? And I I say at the moment because I realise that, you know, people are beavering away trying to find things and you get... These little eruptions of, oh gosh, we've just discovered something new. Oh no, we've just super-eclipsed you. We've found something newer. So what's the heaviest <laughs>
1: one at the moment? So the heaviest element is uh, an element called oganesson. And that is element 118 that I referred to before. And indeed, they reckon either five or six atoms of this were made. And uh, this was first prepared for real, I guess, back in 2002. And the experiment that they did took about 40 days, and they made about five or six atoms of this stuff. And in contrast to the Cold War days, this was a joint team of Russians and Americans. And there does seem to be a lot more cooperation going on these days in the scientific realm now that the Cold War is over, which is all good.
0: So 2002, they found it. When did it get to earn its place on the periodic table then?
1: Well, what needs to happen in cases like these is that the discovery has to be replicated by one of the other teams working around the world. And so this was replicated in December 2015 as one of a bunch of four new elements, and it was named in 2016, and it was named after a Russian nuclear physicist by the name of Yuri Oganessian, and he is very, very big in the transuranic elements world. And he has the very, very great distinction of being one of only two people who have had elements named after them while they're still alive. And the other one is a guy by the name of Glenn Seaborg who had Seaborgium named after him and he was a giant of the American side in the Cold War.
0: That's right, there's a few names of dead people in this grab bag of heavy weights, rather fortium-einsteinium.
1: Indeed, and we, we get people like Copernicus, for example, element 112, which is very, very appropriate because, remember, he was the first person that said that the planets orbit the Sun and not the other way around. Who else? Röntgen, the discoverer of X-rays, and X-rays are very, very important in all of uh, this type of stuff. If pushed, I would have to say that Galileo really, really desperately needs to be on there. He's one of the greatest scientists of all time.
0: Is there an upper limit to all of this? Like, how heavy could you go? Is oganesson going to be it?
1: At the moment, the periodic table is pleasingly full from a symmetry viewpoint. If you have a look at it, it's essentially perfectly symmetrical, and all of the holes which used to be there over the past sort of 20 or 30 years are now full. And at... The next element, 119, we're going to start another period on the periodic table. Remember, those are the horizontal rows on the periodic table. And people are, again, engaged in studies trying to make this stuff. It's anybody's guess, actually, as to how heavy we could go. Nobody really knows. There are some calculations out there that say that when we get to an atomic number of 126, we might find some stability amongst those particular elements because these heavy elements they're only around for milliseconds. Oganessian only hangs around for a half-life of sort of milliseconds, so it's there and it's gone. There's also a prediction that if you go as high as an atomic number of 164, then you might also find that those are unusually stable. But you're sticking an awful lot of positive charges in an awfully small area and We know that light charges repel, so there will be um, a limit to the size of the nucleus somewhere along the way. It can only get so big before it spontaneously flies apart. That's my guess anyway.
0: So people are theorising that we can go up to 160-whatever and they're poised waiting for 119. Theoretically, could you actually physically make it?
1: Yeah, indeed. I'd say in the next few years, probably somebody will report the synthesis of element 119. I wouldn't be surprised at all. As I say, there are... Teams very much, I think, in Japan. I think they're really onto this at the moment, trying to make element 119. And what happens is that when they do make a new element, it sort of gets a placeholder name, which is sort of somewhat systematic. And so element 119 would be called ununenium, which is kind of pig Latin for 119. Element 120 <laughs> would be unben. <laughs> Let's try that again. Element 120 would be unbenilium. Which uh, again, pig Latin for 120 or 120, etc. etc. etc.
0: God, that's like naming your baby before it's born I and mean, going, well, wait <laughs> wait till we meet it to give it its proper name. Un, un, enium. I like it. Anyway, that's it for this week. You've been listening to Elemental, a podcast from
1: RNZ. If you'd like to find out more, you can check out rnz.co.nz forward slash chemistry. And you can find us as a podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the usual places.
0: Thanks for your company. We're back next time with Beryllium. But until then, it's
1: goodbye from me, Alison Balance. And me, Professor Alan Black. Catch you next time.